How do you like this title? Moral Boundaries. I'm in, you're out. Yes. Um, so that's what I want to talk about is sort of, you know, moral boundaries as we continue on our series uh, on morality. We've been um, looking at different aspects of it. This one is, um, if you think about sort of your circle of moral values, if you were to think of yours, um, and you have a certain set. <clears throat> and in that set of beliefs and behaviors, um, you have some that you practice more frequently than, and, than others. Uh, others, you, you would say you transgress those moral, your own moral beliefs and boundaries uh, more often. Um, but you, you have this set, whether you practice them entirely or not, you do. And, um, and then there's uh, others who have their set. And if you ever uh, became close to someone else, got married to them, or became best friends with them, or they're your children, or they're your parents, you realize that people have a really different way of perceiving the world than you do. In some cases, there's some real good similarity, and you think, oh, good, we, we have agreement here. That feels good. You and I agree together on this one issue. Um, but there are some that are so different. Th this also, also is why it is more difficult sometimes to get along with some people than others. It has to do with sort of values and the way you perceive or see the world around you. And so you could imagine if you had um, a certain person uh, who has a certain set of beliefs and behaviors, and then you have this other person, and then let's say you had about maybe, and you're imagining seeing circles uh, with these values, beliefs, morality uh, within that circle, and you have a bunch of them coming together, and they form this group. They would form this group because there's some similarity between them, and then there's some dissimilarity, but the similarities are probably more and the ones that they really put like a big, huge like asterisk on, or you know, this moral value, this this one right here, that matters to me more than perhaps the others. And so we kind of cluster around each other in social groups based upon oftentimes those things that don't get spoken as much as they are experienced as we get around people, right? So now you have social group dynamics that come and create their own entire circle. So that you have a bigger circle that has these smaller circles inside it with all these people and individuals who would disagree with each other. But generally in this larger circle, they would start to form this sort of culture. And that's how cultures oftentimes are, are, are formed is that not necessarily formed in that particular way, but that's what happens to cultures and why when you walk into a certain environment, you can either feel at ease or feel at dis-ease almost immediately without even having so much as a few moments of conversation with somebody. There's a certain feel, there's a certain atmosphere. Right? So, uh, if you were to walk into, um, if you were a non-evangelical and you were to walk into an evangelical church, um, if you had conservative values, you would feel fairly okay, roughly within that, within that circle. That's not entirely true for everyone because some of them would walk in and say, I have zero uh, agreement in terms of how you see God. But there's a general uh, sort of value system within the conservative group that would match up pretty well with the evangelical and therefore somebody from the outside would feel a little bit more comfortable in that environment than say if they went to a predominantly liberal church. Does that make sense so far? So it's the same thing as if you were um, 
a, a, uh, a, a person of a different ethnicity and you walk into a group where I remember when I was young, I started dating this Italian girl and she was from Sicily and her whole family was from Sicily. They all came over and they all spoke Italian. Very, some of them actually didn't speak any English at all. And I remember coming into that environment and realizing very quickly that when I was among 50 of them and there would be gatherings where there were 50 plus people all, all gathered together, it was very, very clear that I was not on the inside of that circle. <laughs> very clear to me. I, and as hard as I worked at being on the inside, because I like being on the inside of things, as hard as I worked on being in, on the inside of the circle, I was not on the inside. And, um, and you know, but that, that would give me sort of like a, a dispensation. You know, they would say, um, you're dating this. Okay, all right. Uh, what ethnicity are you? I, I'm Parisian French. Okay, so you're not so far away. Okay, that's fine. We'll we'll take you. You know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. See, this uh, this Italian over here knows what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very loud. Yes. Yeah, I realized I couldn't uh, really get into a flow of any conversation. It was a lot of interruptions, nonstop. But. Uh, but that was a, a, a feeling, an experience I had where I realized I'm not on the inside, right? Now, n a lot of people describe never quite feeling on the inside of anything. So that's true just simply because we're sometimes very different. Um, and, um, but uh, you know when you're really on the outside, right? You've also had that experience. Right, so, so, um, so these are cultural groups that are formed. Um, and, and sometimes they're formed by accident and sometimes they're formed by intention. Um, you know, we're, you know, starting a group and our focus is going to be um, on, on reaching these people, uh, this group of people. Um, and so, you know, if it's, if it's um, retirees, we want to bring retirees together, right? So that's a group that's formed around that. If we're speaking uh, about women's issues, we want women together. Um, we, you know, don't want men in the group. Um, if we're speaking about men's issues, we want men in the group. That sort of thing, right? Those are by intention, and we expect that. Um, but when you walk into a group that's, that, that seems somewhat open and its intention is to be open and welcoming to all others and you walk in and there's a feel about it that you're just like, whoa, wait, clearly it's open for a certain group of people, but not me. <laughs> you you kind of get that feeling too. Uh, and and I, I've had that experience uh, on a few occasions. Um, so this uh, brings us to, let's, let's, pause here and segue to let's thinking about sort of the Bible and its context, cultural context. So in ancient Israel, so this is back in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, um, you have a certain individual that is selected by God to be special, to be, to stand out from the rest of the group. And his name is, guess who? Abraham. So it starts with Abraham. Abraham is God's selection. You're mine. Through you, I'm going to form this entire family that's going to be uh, as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. Okay. Um, if you're going to be part of the in-group that belongs to the Yahweh clan, the Yahweh group, you're going to be what? One of the descendants eth ethnically, to, and, and eventually religiously to Abraham. You can't get in unless you're part of that. Right? Even though there are hints, and that's what's really remarkable about the scriptures, there are hints that this is going to be beyond this. 
Because when he says, I'm going to make you in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. There's a hint. It's not necessarily going to be ethnically, but to the Jewish mind, it was because that's all that had ever existed is if you were Egyptian, you were Egyptian. If you were another, you were enslaved or you were uh, subservient to that group. Uh, so the, the, the ancient mindset was this is how it worked. It was by territory, land, uh, religious, nationality. All of it was blended together. Um, and so you were not on the inside. If you were fleeing from your country to go to another country, you were not going to ever be on the inside of that group, even if you were able to be uh, one of their servants. So Israel goes through this thing. So, so first of all, it's the patriarch. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? These are the patriarchs. And through them, there's the lineage that's, that's being developed. And these are the insiders. And the rest of the world are the outsiders, okay? And then it forms into a nation. It becomes an actual nation. So now it's no longer just patriarchs. It's a, an ethnic and religious group, and they begin to grow and expand. And then things fall apart and they end up being taken and conquered. Um, and then along comes this man named Jesus. And Jesus kind of starts to mess things up a little bit because he doesn't belong to any group, at least not within that. Now, certainly from the outside, the, Jews, the, the Romans could have said, well, clearly he's a Jew. So he's not one of us. He's on, he's on their side, right? So there was still that. But within the Jewish sects, the different sort of, you know, beliefs and politics, Jesus didn't belong to any of them, which was really frustrating because he was always being asked that question. And so he doesn't belong to any. He starts to move about, but then he develops this group. Who is his group? The 12 disciples, right? And the disciples after Jesus dies, they begin to form this thing called the church. Now at that time, what is the church made up of? Ethnically, Jews. It is Jewish followers of Jesus. And then what begins to happen is there's this influx of Gentiles, non-Jews who are beginning to follow God. And that creates a major problem in the church, such a major problem. They were starting to split off from each other. Okay. So, all right. So we have gave you sort of like the context of cultures and how it works and what our experiences when we walk into certain settings, you walk into this church, you had a certain feel, a certain experience, and it either made you feel comfortable or not. Uh, and, and if you stayed, apparently you were comfortable enough. Uh, but we also know we have certain feels to us in this church that can make some feel comfortable and others not. And so we need to be aware of that. Right? And then we're talking now about how this has worked throughout the Bible and what began to happen towards the end is you start to see a shift in the way things are viewed in terms of moral boundaries. Who's in, who's out. Because the whole idea of who's in is not just, oh, you're part of my uh, culture. That's why I like hanging out with you. There is that, but there's always a moralizing to even that to our preference for why we like this or like that. There's a justification, a moral backing to that oftentimes. And it has become even more so today as we think about the church and where uh, we are currently. 
So um, what I like to do is take a look at a couple verses that I think are really informative. One that I've never actually spoken from um, that I think is really, really um, salient and very important to this particular thought. And that is in Mark chapter 15. This is Jesus's crucifixion. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom. This is verse 37 and 38. Okay, so talk to me, folks. This is interesting, right? The curtain is torn from top to bottom. And then the next verse, it says what? And, the cent- and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. All right. Now, first of all, the temple, that itself is a structure that is very clear about get- who gets in and who does not get in. Those of you who know about the temple, you know that there were several sections to it. There was the outer court. Sure, Gentiles, you can come in. But uh, when it comes to the holy place, mm -mm, not so much. Uh, And then when you get into the holy of holies, uh, no one else gets to go in there except for the the priest, right? The priest gets to, the high priest gets to enter in and, and talk to God. You, it was, this was the holiness code. If you've ever studied holiness uh, in terms of the biblical literature of holiness, it is really, really, really fascinating. And it's built upon a, a, a whole history, a culture, a way of thinking about holiness um, that, uh, um, that God is so beyond and so outside of humanity. Any divine being actually was seen that way. Every divine being that uh, was ever worshiped in the ancient world was something or someone or an, an, enti- an entity that could not be uh, approached or become close to uh, for various reasons. And so for God to stand outside of people was not a surprise in any stretch of the imagination. What was interesting is that this God would live inside of the temple, and yet there were already hints long before then that this God, Yahweh, could not live and exist simply within the holy place. This God was much greater. But yet, in the ancient mind, this God lives within the holy place, the most holy place. And so um, when the curtain is torn in two, from top to bottom, by the way, this is a four inch curtain. It's not, you know, a veil like you think of a veil. It's, it's, it's a four inch curtain that could not be ripped. <laughs> it was a massive thing, 30 by 60 feet. It took 300 priests to move it. And this thing is torn from the top to the bottom. So if it was torn from the bottom up, that would suggest humans, right? The idea that it's torn from the top to the bottom suggests it's the divine. It's, the de- it's God coming down and doing this. What does the tearing of the temple suggest to you? Tearing of the veil of the temple. The door is open. The door is open? Yeah. What else? Say that again. Others can come in, Others can come in beside the holy, besides the priest. Yeah. What else? One side of the curtain to the other is no longer there. Whatever divides, it's no longer there. Yeah. 
What else? And God said so. <laughs> and God said so. God did it. Uh huh. Yeah. God came down. God came down. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Visibility. God can be seen. Yep. Yep. God's everywhere. Oh boy. God's everywhere. Yes. Uh, no man could have possibly done that. No man could have done that. This is divine. Also changing the hierarchy and direct access. Changing the hierarchy and direct access. Absolutely. People have direct access to God. It's really good. Good stuff. Yeah. So this is great because it, it, it's all, that's all true. What's really remarkable is it's not just that God says, okay, everybody can come in and talk to me now. It is that. That's awesome. But if that was the only thing, then God could have said to the early church, listen, why don't you guys design a temple, right? And schedule this thing in such a way that everybody can just go through the, through the veil and have a conversation with God, right? And, and we, we can calendar it because there's going to be a lot of people coming in. So make sure you have your Google calendars with you as you come in. But you can, you can get in there. It's just you're going to have to schedule in advance. Hey, that could have been done if the, if the goal was, if the problem was all, people are, people, um, you know, only the priests can talk to God and people can't get there. That's a big problem. But if it was the only problem, then another temple could have been created where people could have come in and met with God in that location. But the thing of the, the, the reason for the veil being torn is something that encompasses all the things you guys just said, but perhaps even larger. And that is that God had actually left the whole entire system. It was no longer the system itself of people having to come through having to do this whole thing of cleansing themselves and washing themselves before coming to God. Which God set up. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this is what makes the book of Hebrews so complicated and so beautiful and wonderful. Because the whole message of Hebrews is trying to work this whole thing out. Like this is a head scratcher. Even the biblical writers don't fully understand it. All right. Why? Because God is not under, God is beyond our comprehension, right? It should never get to the point that we have mastered this thing. It, it is way too big beyond us. And they're working it out and they're fully inspired by the Holy Spirit as they're doing it. And it is magnificent. It is mind blowing. And yet they're struggling with trying to understand what exactly does this mean that the temple veil has been torn? Because if it was just about us accessing, then something could have been set up for us to walk in. But instead, it is God has completely left the building entirely and is on the move. And now the question is, what does this mean? Because if the whole thing was that the only way we could come to God was we had to do these purification rites and we had to cleanse ourselves. And then the priest would represent us as he came before God. And now it is no. This is why the Hebrew writer says, now we can walk boldly into the throne of, of, of God before the throne of God. Because we can do it. What's that? Because of what he yeah. Well, the, the whole death of, of Christ on the cross. That was, that was is, is, the, is the pathway forward to this new thing that God was establishing, which is now you can come boldly before me because the whole thing of sin dividing us 
and our, our concept of this, which by the way is ingrained within our, within our very conscious. That's why the Hebrew writer says the reason for the sacrifices was for our consciousness sake. Because, because there is this thing in us that when we do wrong, we sometimes we carry this and we feel there's something wrong about us for a long time. And when we carry this guilt, we feel like we have to do something to, to make it right. Even today, we feel that. Right? How many of you, when you feel like you've done bad, maybe you have, <laughs> and you feel that weight of darkness, does it keep you hesitating to move forward towards doing uh, something good? The good? Getting back with boldness and coming every day before the throne isn't just about coming and praying. It is about that because that's the context of Hebrews is asking for things before God. But it's also the idea of moving forward in life towards making this world a better place because God has, has called you to do so. Back to the Genesis 1 command to subdue and take care of this earth. Like that, those are the things that I was talking to some of this week, one of my clients who said, you know, Joel, I, I went to this like business. It's like one of these, you know, all the businesses, a bunch of entrepreneurs and coming together to this business party. And it's kind of a hobnob thing. She was like, I go to this thing and I introduce myself. You know, we all got our, our name tags and we're introducing ourselves. And I'm taught, and I come up to people and I go, hi, my name is so-and-so. And they said, yeah, 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 we know you. You spoke at a, at, a, at a conference about women's entrepreneurship. And it was like, really touched me and spoke to me. I was impacted. And she's like, and then, I, you know, and then, I'm, and then I come up to another person and they say the same thing and they say thing. And I'm thinking, she's saying this and it feels good to her. And she goes, and all I kept thinking was, why is it all about me? And why am I the, the, the show here? And I shouldn't be. And I start getting down on myself. And I said, you lost, the, you lost the entire narrative. People were touched by you. You did something wonderful. Why are you fixating on this thing of how you feel about it? It was like, but that's the constant narrative in our minds is that there's something wrong and we have to fix it. And, and, and it, it, it holds us back. And we, we hesitate from the full glory of living into what God has called us to be and to do. Like to be free from that, to live as if God had your back. To live as if the veil had actually been torn. That the system itself of having to go before God every time for sins and failures and to, you know, God, please forgive me. What I love about the New Testament is there's nothing about please God forgive me because the mindset of the New Testament is that your sins are forgiven past, present, future. The problem is the denial of that sin is when we're in denial rather than confessing. That's why first John says, confess and say, ask God for forgiveness. It says, confess your sins because the confession of it, it's the acknowledgement that it's there. And then the trust that because you've confessed it, first John one, nine, that God is faithful and just to forgive every single one of your sins because of what was accomplished on the cross. And here's what's cool, right? Immediately after that verse, what do we read? We read the verse about the centurion. Who's the centurion? Centurion's a Roman. The centurion had been used to killing off people. There's nothing unusual for him about killing off another Jew. <laughs> it's just, well, this is what we do. We're used to blood. We're used to war. We're used to all this. 
This hardened centurion stands there and says, surely this was the son of God. Why does Mark put this immediately after that? Because Mark is preaching a sermon. And the sermon that Mark is preaching is that those who were on the outside now have access to God because God has left the building. That's the message Mark is preaching that would blow the minds again of every one of the followers of Jesus who were inspired to write and they're trying to make sense of this magnificent, incredible, awesome message that God has left the temple. So that's the reason why the, the first church, the early church, Paul, he, and even Peter earlier, is like, well, wait, we were talking to these Gentiles and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came on them and they were speaking in tongues and like that's not supposed to happen because they haven't converted yet. You see, the process is you convert to Judaism and then, okay, then you have access. But they hadn't done that. The Holy Spirit had, jumped, had dropped right onto them. So these boundaries were starting to get broken. And I think that that's just the way it goes. It's not that there's no boundaries. It's just that sometimes God comes in and says, the ones you have in place are insufficient for what I'm doing now. You need new ones. I'm not into this whole idea of like, no boundaries, no boundaries. No, we're going to have them. It's just that we got to be discerning about, is the spirit guiding us to this kind of boundary right now? You know, are we moving forward towards the right kind of boundaries or are we stuck in a previous one? Because if we are, then we're just going to be like the early church and we're just going to be like the Pharisees and we're just going to be like, like the, the litany in the Bible of these, these institutions and these people that could not see when God had come to do something new, they weren't ready and they couldn't move with God. Right? Because again, much of, like I said last week, much of our institutional interests and our compromises get in the way. So this is the, this is the thing that I think is, is, is interesting, and I want to segue to this real quick, and then we'll finish with this. We think in terms of how some of the boundaries that um, are in place. For me, this is, this is sort of my personal mission, and I think something akin to the mission that we have here as a church. And that is to remove boundaries carefully, thoughtfully, that we remove the boundaries that stand in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all people. And we get to think about that because it's not something that we just do whimsically. It has to be thought through. Like, what does this mean? But I think that's our mission because the barriers were being removed in the New Testament and regularly removed. And they were removed, you know, Galatians, I had this verse up just a second ago, Galatians chapter three, there is neither Jew nor Gentile that's a big change in the New Testament. <laughs> For that to be said, it's like, what? There's always been Jew and Gentile. What are you talking about? Those are the people of God. We're the people of God. What are you telling us now? That we're no longer the people of God? What does this mean? That anything goes? Is that what this means? Is this a slippery slope now? We're all sliding down? It's a confusing one for them, Right? And, and they had to work through it. And they had to work through it with a lot of discernment, with a lot of prayer, with a lot of conversation with one another. 
And I think that's important. I think the model that's captured in Acts 15 that our previous pastor here, Mark Fee, did such an excellent job. And I was really, really informed by him in this space. And, and, and um, it really transformed a lot of the way I was thinking. But in Acts 15, they met together and they discussed it and they prayed together and they were at odds and they disagreed with each other. That's the goal. That, to me, that's, this is what needs to happen, right? We're, we're, we're increasingly homogenizing ourselves so that we don't have to be with people who disagree with us when we actually need to be with people who disagree with us, who are trying to be faithful. And that when we're with people who disagree with us, but are trying to be faithful, that we actually can discern the spirit. Cause that's what happened in Acts 15. They came together, they disagreed, they talked about it, they prayed. And then finally, James says, based upon everything I've heard, here's, here's my decision. And we move forward, you know? And, with the, and by the way, the way they move forward was not permanent. So if anybody wants to be a literalist, then you shouldn't eat any meat with blood. So for those of you who like red meat or those of you who, you know, I mean, there's certain things like that, that, that get teased out in the new Testament. Like don't eat meat. That's been offered to, 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 to idols, right? That's no longer an issue today. So it, it shows you that this, this, this movement and discernment that's happening regularly throughout the New Testament, we're trying to figure this out and we're doing it to the best of our ability. But the major thing is that the gospel has come and we must discern what boundaries is God moving through to reach people and what are we to do in response to that? So I think today is one of those days. I think we got to think through this, particularly as we are faced with a whole lot of division along, my goodness, old lines. I mean, things like uh, race, ethnicity, things like um, politics, part, not politics necessarily, but partisanships. That's the real issue. It's political partisanships. It's, like, it's this thing of, I, I, I disagree with you and I don't want to be near you because you think differently than I do. And I think that creates, and, and this is my concern is because on social media, Lots of my pastor friends who are evangelical, who tend very much conservative, are posting things that are making Democrats look stupid. That's the attempt, and, and, or at least it seems that way. And, and there's a lot of that stuff that's being done, and I, and I grieve because it's just another barrier. Because someone who is a, 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 you know, a, a Democrat voter or someone who's liberal can come in, might want to come into that because it's a local church and it's near them and they might want to come in, but they find out very quickly, this is a group that won't be open to me and my thoughts and my, my particular beliefs about things. And I, I have to go somewhere else. And that's a shame because the gospel isn't about that. The gospel is about something much greater than that. And yet that's where a lot of the divide is happening. Think, same thing with science. There are many kids who have, who are growing up within the church. Some of them who have left the church never to return. Some of them are friends of mine. And they said it's because the church rejected science and they, that meant it rejected them because they had that scientific mind. They loved science, you know? And we think about these things, arts, entertainment, people who have left the church because arts and entertainment was a thing that they felt really was true to who they are. And yet when they went into the church, it was sort of a, like a, no, that's not really godly. And so as a result, they sort of just squashed that and attempted to repress it and eventually left the church and went somewhere else to practice that stuff. But instead, what we should be doing is saying, my goodness, God is a God who created the arts. God is a God who created all this stuff in nature that, the, that science is helping us to discover. It should cause us to worship, not be afraid. Hey, we shouldn't be afraid it's going to lead us away from God. No, it's going to lead us to God. 
because God is in nature. God has created all of this stuff, right? Come on, we celebrate that. We can get excited about that. There is God has left, God has left the temple. God is in all, all these spaces and we can go there boldly. So this is my challenge to us this morning is to think about, can we be people that are discerning and thinking about how we move forward? Can we, we become aware of perhaps a little bit more of the boundaries that we have put up that have become barriers perhaps to the gospel in our circles and instead say, oh no, I have my beliefs, but <laughs> I do. And I'm pretty strong about my beliefs, but that's not important. What's important is that you and I have a conversation. What's important is that you're welcomed into this and, and we wanna have, be able to have dialogue and discernment and conversation and figure this out together because I don't have all the answers. There is no conservative that has all the answers and there is no liberal that has all the answers. It's as we come together in Christ that then we will understand better and be able to move forward. Amen. And would you put your hands in front of you as if to receive a gift that um, this benediction hopefully is for you. And my trust is that God blesses the words and, um, and stands behind them and activates them in our lives. So and may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be evermore with you this week. May this peace, this lightness, this joy that you have experienced in worship continue on. And may not only continue on, but may it touch other lives as well around you. And may our gatherings be even more filled with the presence, the spirit of the Lord. We pray. Amen.